On this episode of the Nesson Soccer Podcast, we recap what went wrong for the New England Revolution in their MLS Cup playoff loss and look ahead to what's in store for the club heading into 2021. Plus, have we seen the last dance between Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo? Hello and welcome to the Nesson Soccer Podcast. I am Mark, along with Marcus. Marcus, good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon to you. All right. Uh, today in the show, we are going to talk a lot about the Revolution and their playoff run and the MLS Cup playoffs that came to an end in the Eastern Conference Finals. We're also going to talk about Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo and where their rivalry stands. Um, and of course, as always, we'll wrap up with matches of the weekend. But Marcus, uh, a, a tough ending to the season for the New England Revolution. They lost one nothing to the Columbus Crew. That was on Sunday. That was in Columbus. Real grinded out game. If they had been able to pull it off, it would have taken kind of a good, a really solid moment of brilliance from from one of their stars. They had some good opportunities to kind of tie it up. Uh, just never could convert. Matt Turner played extremely well for the Revs in, in net. Um, the goal really wasn't his fault. Nothing much he could have done about it. And he had several really great saves to go along with a string of great saves uh, throughout the playoffs. But as, as you know, I guess sad or, or disappointing as it was for the, the playoff run to come to an end, like the, the train just kept right on rolling for the Revs. They had to make a ton of moves roster-wise, uh, pretty much immediately after the game, looking forward to 2021 and saying goodbye to some guys that have been around for a long time, but kind of a, a sense of optimism around the club overall. But, you know, Marcus, we, as uh, the dust kind of settles, you know, what did you take from the, the loss, uh, the run overall, and then the kind of roster moves that immediately followed? Um, to begin the offseason? Well, from the loss itself, I mean, they, uh, it was a good game, compelling, pulsating even. Um, but they were lacking a bit, uh, probably a bit of quality, um, you know, physically well-prepared, tactically well-prepared, tactically well-prepared. They were competitive throughout, locked in. But yeah, I think uh, a friend of mine put it excellently. It's they reached about as far as they can go through physicality and uh, tactical preparation. Um, they're just missing a little bit in the final third to unlock, you know, a, a crew defense that's good enough to take them all the way to Sunday's MLS Cup. But that being said, you know, as for the run, uh, as I've said in recent weeks, they, you know, they've uh, generated buzz in this market. I think they overachieved a bit uh, because through the course of the 2020 season, which was, you know, chopped up and broken into parts. Uh, the revolution didn't really hit that. Uh, they didn't really hit their peak until the end, which in MLS, that's what you want to do. You want to be playing your best soccer at the end of the season. So good for the revolution and Bruce Arena for, uh, you know, for being able to time their improvement, right? I guess, uh, for lack of a better word. And as for, you know, the roster changes, the one that really stuck out, stuck out for me was Diego Fagundes, 
who uh, he's out of contract and couldn't come to an agreement with the revolution. Um, and he actually spoke in depth to a number of media outlets about how uh, he, Diego Fagundes, for those who don't know, is the revolution's first homegrown player. He signed with the team when he was 15 and he's been playing, uh, he's been playing, you know, in the first team for, it's gotta be 10 years now. Uh, he is the club's joint record holder for most appearances with 261. And it looks at this point like he will depart uh, in some sort of in free agency. Uh, he's out of contract. He said that he has offers coming from Mexico, Uruguay. He's open to clubs in the United States, uh, but he hasn't closed the door entirely on playing for the revolution ever again. But uh, he did point out uh, in a Boston Globe article that dropped, I think, uh, Tuesday night that he had been playing out of position, uh, playing really selflessly for his hometown club. And, uh, you know, he, he definitely got a sense that he feels a bit hard done by. Uh, he asked for a raise. The revolution offered him probably the most modest of raises. And uh, he's a player who wasn't playing. Uh, he wasn't first choice in his natural position, which is number 10. That belongs to Carlos Hill. And, uh, yeah, it looks like the Diego Fagundes era in New England is uh, going to be coming to a close for now. So uh, that's a little bit sad, but, yeah, you put it well. The train keeps on running, and uh, Bruce Arena was brought here to bring the New England revolution to as high a level as he possibly can. And uh, I don't think there's any room for sentimentality uh, in that. So, um I understand, I guess. Um, it's not, uh, you know, longtime revolution fan. Diego Fagundes is uh, somewhat synonymous with the club. He's one of those players that, um, you know, he's been out in the community. I've spoken to him uh, who knows how many times and uh, just always represented the club, uh, the club brilliantly. But, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, it comes down to dollars and cents, what production you're getting from, a certain salary number and uh, Bruce arena and the revolution brass decided to go in a different direction. So uh, yeah, I think his story is uh, it, I think it encapsulates the uh, sweeping change that Bruce arena was brought in to make and that he is uh, he has made to date and will continue to make. Yeah. I mean, I think you pretty much said it, Marcus um, just like a couple other guys who I believe their contracts are up and, correct me if I'm wrong, but like Kellen Rowe and Lee Wynn, who uh, have had multiple spells with the Revs, I believe their contracts have expired. They um, have, yeah. So, you know, just kind of like some familiar faces that, uh, you know, could be back, but probably not. And, I mean, it, it is. You're, it's what Bruce Arena was brought here to do, and this offseason kind of seems to be shaping up to be uh, more vital as far as just acquiring personnel than the previous off season, it seems like there's a little more flexibility with um, building out a roster and, you know, this time next year, this will be 100% Bruce arena's built team pretty much. And uh, his, his fingers will be deep in the weeds with uh, all the roster decisions. And, um, you know, you won't really be able to say, Oh, this guy's contract was from, pre-Bruce Arena 
Um, I mean, maybe there will be a few, but it'll really be majority Bruce Arena. So, um, you know, Bruce Arena addressed that in his season-ending press conference. We probably won't hear from him for a good chunk of time after this. So this is what Arena had to say about the upcoming offseason. Picking the players whose options are going to be exercised and not exercised is really challenging. And it's, re it's really difficult. And uh, uh, up until the last minute, we're making some decisions. So that, that's not easy. But having said that, we've been working most of the year on looking at players to help support our roster. So that process has gone fairly smooth. And I think uh, where we are today, we're, we're actually kind of comfortable. If we can sign the players that we've targeted, uh, we think we're going to have a stronger roster in 2021. Yeah, what we heard from Arena is that, uh, you know, he talked about uh, the sense of uh, optimism really is the word that comes to mind. And it popped up a lot at the Revolution's uh, year-end media availability. Um, you know, he said, we're going to have a stronger roster in 2021, uh, potentially one capable of reaching MLS Cup, or at least where the Revolution will enter the season as one of the contenders or favorites to reach MLS Cup out of the Eastern Conference. And uh, yeah, it's uh, these are the tough decisions that he has to make. But uh, we hear from, we, we heard from a number of Revolution players uh, at that year-end media availability uh, who all, they were, they were all sort of um, bringing the, uh, that, that same message, which is this is just the beginning. Uh, everybody's optimistic. The chemistry is still good. And uh, Carlos Hill spoke first. Uh, I'll read his quote in Spanish since we don't have a uh, fluent Spanish speaker on this show we do uh, not. to translate. So I will <laughs> read it in English. Hill said, I think it is clear. The team's progress is evident. We keep taking steps forward. After a tough start last year, we were able to make the playoffs. This year, we reached the conference final. The idea is to continue taking steps forward and become a championship team. We know we have to work hard, but I think we're on our way. Uh, Heel spoke, uh, he wasn't the only one to speak. We also hear from a uh, long time, you know, they're now Revolution stalwarts, Teal Bunbury and Scott Caldwell. Both of these guys are veterans from the 2014 Revolution team that reached MLS Cup only to lose an extra time to the LA Galaxy. Uh, both of them uh, were asked about comparisons between the two teams and the between the 2014 and 2020 revolution teams. And uh, they both talked about their sense of optimism about this group. Uh, so we hear from Bunbury first and then Caldwell. What I can say is I think we have the makeup of a team that can win an MLS cup. Uh, it's about making sure that we get better on a lot of things, but uh, if we continue to have the right attitude and, and, uh, the right cohesiveness. I think this is a group that that can definitely win a championship. So that's going to be on all of our minds this off season, uh, starting preseason and, and next year. So that that's for me, what I can take from it. It's hard to make those kind of uh, those remarks of uh, if we feel closer now or before, but um, they, we definitely have the group to do so. You know, there's definitely uh, similarities in terms of just coming off good postseason runs um, between the two, but this year, I just feel like it's the beginning of something. Um, I'm not sure what, what other guys have said, but it's it's really something that we can build on and something that, um, you know, we can just continue to grow from. So 
it's a little different in the fact that um, I think we, we just, we're all in a good optimistic state of mind. We're all ready. We're, we're, um, we're not, we're happy with how we did, but we're not like thrilled. You know, we know that we can do better. We know that we can perform better over the course of a full regular season. We know that we can um, grow as a team and individually. So I think that, uh, that builds a lot of optimism um, throughout the whole team. Okay, so that, again, was Teal Bunbury and Scott Caldwell. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, this playoff run kind of jump-started or, or just was a you know an accelerator of what was already going on with the Revs, and that is uh, some really optimistic and smart moves going on from a player personnel perspective to bring the Revs not just up to the top of MLS for, um, you know, next season or the next two seasons, but kind of, I think the goal, uh, you know, and as this should be the goal at any time, but I think it's really being put into practice now is to be consistently at the top of the league, uh, you know, for an extended period of time, you know, going, trying to put together uh, an entire maybe era of just, being at the top of the league, uh, kind of, you know, not too dissimilar from the C success that Seattle Sounders have seen, Toronto FC, um, and not sort of just be kind of a flash in the pan, kind of like maybe the Philadelphia Union were this year. Um, but for me, when I kind of look at the Revs of the future, it's, it's full of excitement. I'm very excited to see what players are brought in, what the roster looks like next year, but also just from a development perspective, what young players maybe the Revs can get uh, playing consistently next season. Uh, and then just in general, when we look at this, and we've talked about it, Marcus, this very exciting 2021 uh, year for soccer um, that is kind of all materialized because of the pandemic. I mean, I kind of put the Revs right in there with just being so excited to see what they come up with can't wait to get down to Gillette stadium next year and kind of attend some games in person and feel like the world is back to normal a little bit. Um, and the revs I think will be a big part of just, you know, a, a fun year of soccer next year for me, at least. Yeah. It, uh, you know, you touched on one of the main points, which is that this is a multi-year project, uh, Bruce arena, making the revolution great again, uh, <laughs> bringing them back to, really the level that they were uh, in the early part of this century, uh, which is among the teams that is competing, uh, that, that competes for championships uh, year in, year out. Now, what it took to do that in the year 2001, two, three, four, five is a lot different than what it takes now. Uh, read money uh, administration organization. So um, yeah, I think, this, uh, I think this was an accelerant year, uh, and what it has done is built uh, exposure. Look at us. We're talking about the revolution now, three consecutive episodes of right. SN Soccer Podcast. And, uh, yeah, maybe uh, coming into next season, there'll be the, the lights on from the beginning. And, you know, it's not like um, the expectation will bring, you know, it, it, it'll create the story in itself whether this team is achieving, overachieving or underachieving versus 
where they were, um, they didn't have much visibility until it seemed like they were really made of some substance. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting, um, certainly next year and the years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And um, not to give it any sort of negative perspective, but I, I am also going to be interested to see uh, how they how the interest that's generated if, if the team does have success uh, while also competing viewership wise with the Celtics, the Bruins and the Red Sox, who will all be in the swing of their seasons as the next MLS season begins. And then, of course, always in the later part of the MLS season, we've got the Patriots um, going on. And that's a, it's an extremely competitive market, obviously. And to break in against, you know, teams that are entrenched obviously but you know I, I think it's time to get on board because uh the revs are only going to get better but let's move on to our second topic of the day uh and as barcelona and juventus met in the final match day of the champions league group stage uh Lionel messi and cristiano ronaldo played for the first time in a long time and possibly the first the only time they'll play each other for a long time afterward. Um, there could be exceptions to that. The, the, the reality is we just don't really know when they're going to play again. Um, the end result of the game was Juventus kind of easily taking care of Barcelona three to nothing. Uh, I would say the highlight was Weston McKenney's goal, a uh, scissor kick volley yeah, in the box. Bad. It was a, uh, you know, one of the best U.S. goals we've seen um, in the Champions League. But uh, we want to talk about kind of the state of the Messi versus Ronaldo rivalry. Um, where do the two players stand in the hierarchy of best players in the world? Where is their rivalry at now? Um, Marcus, I mean, I, I, I want to hear your opinion before I offer my opinion, because honestly, I think my opinion is going to be shaped by whatever you say. Well, before we get into it, I mean, I think it's worth sort of looking back um, as, you know, this was the 36th time these two have played each other or their teams have played each other over the last 12 years. Um, you know, really, this rivalry has defined uh soccer at the top, top level, uh, men's soccer at the top level for, eh, let's say, easily the last eight of the last 10 years. Uh, and if you look at the time period spanning from uh, 2008 to 2018, it would be that 10-year span. Uh, Ronaldo has, uh, sorry, Messi has a lead, his Barcelona team's lead Ronaldo's 16 to 11. There are 10 draws between them. Uh, both of them have scored a boatload of goals, but Ronaldo, you know, it's, it's almost like when they, whenever they go head to head, it's, you know, fans start asking who's better. Well, Ronaldo scored twice in this game. Uh, Buffon, Gigi Buffon kept Lionel Messi at bay, made a string of saves and uh, Barcelona went out and won three zero clinch first place on match day six. But I thought what was interesting was what Ronaldo said, uh, about their rivalry after the game, he told Movie Star, quote, as I've said before, for 12, 13, 14 years, I've been sharing prizes with him. I never saw him as a rival. 
He always tried the best for his team and I tried the best for mine. I always got on well with him and I'm sure he will say the same if you ask him. Uh, it's funny, Messi. Uh, I think we hear more from Ronaldo over the years about the rivalry than Messi, but Ronaldo continues. Yeah. But we know in football, people ask, people always look for a rivalry to create more excitement. It's always beautiful to play against him. Obviously, people will talk about our rivalry when we meet, but for me, it's just a great privilege. Uh, that is super duper gracious from Ronaldo. Uh, mm. I was touched by that section. And Ronaldo concluded, Messi is the same as ever on the field. Barcelona are in a difficult moment, but they are still Barca. I'm sure they will come out of it. All teams have bad runs, but Barcelona are a very good team. Uh, I was struck by a bit of the, you know, the graciousness that Ronaldo, um, you know, these, I, I went back before the show and was looking at what he said over the years. And this might be uh, either the longest or the second longest uh, comment he's made on his rivalry with Messi, but uh, full of respect, full of grace. And uh, I'm impressed by it all. Uh and you asked me a question before, and I forget what it was. Uh, well, I, I just said that I think my opinion will probably end up being shaped by your opinion of uh, just the state of the rivalry. But Well, have you, do you think, Ronaldo's now 35, Messi's 33. Is this, was this their last dance? No, I don't think so. I think uh, they'll meet in a competitive match. Um at some point, uh, you know, it, it could be Champions League knockouts. It could be um, World Cup. It could be something else. I mean, first of all, never uh, count, you know, count against UEFA or FIFA to get the matchups they want in uh, various tournaments that take place. So, um, you know. When Qatar 22 groups come out, I would not be shocked if Portugal and Argentina are in the same group. Um, but I think just in reaction to these quotes, uh, I think it's almost just recognition uh, by Ronaldo, probably something he's known for a very long time and that Messi's known for a very long time, that they've their profiles and their fame and their even accomplishments uh, – in in the game are just elevated by the other person and well okay maybe both would have won more ball and door awards had the other never existed uh their overall contribution to the game is higher because the other person existed and they pushed each other throughout this past 12 15 year period um and that's kind of where i leave it and i think that i think that we've kind of seen the the Maybe we haven't seen the last chapter if there was a, a World Cup matchup or um, a Champions League knockout stages matchup that, that is on the horizon still. But I think we, we have the main plot of the book written so far. Um, and it's been an incredible book, uh, really unmatched as far as just two individual athletes facing off against each other. I really can't think of a better matchup of two athletes uh, in a sport. Um, this is higher than Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. It's higher than, oh, yeah. uh, I don't even like, I don't even want to offend them by naming other personal rivalries. I'll so, give you the answer. The only one that could compare Larry Bird versus Magic Johnson. 
okay. uh, 1980s yeah. NBA. Um, only, oh, it's the only time we've seen two legends going toe-to-toe at the highest level for this long. Um, I wrote many, many moons ago when uh, one of our former editors asked me you know, for a take and to publish a take on the who's better, Messi and Ronaldo. And uh, I think my answer was, uh, and I wrote this in either 2011 or 2012, uh, the answer was, there is no answer. It's on us to enjoy and appreciate the both of them because um, I don't think there's ever a time, I don't think there will be a time in our lifetimes where two players who are contenders for greatest of all time status will be roughly in the similar age playing in the same league and playing uh, or, or at least at the same time uh, pushing each other as you so eloquently put and going head to head for the biggest prizes and the biggest competitions. Uh, I, I just don't see it happening again. Um, when uh, in previous eras, there were, players like uh, Johan Cruyff or Pele or Maradona, and they were always head and shoulders above the rest uh, in their day. Um, And they didn't usually have a peer who was within four years of their age. So you could really compare them at these two. So my answer back then and my answer now is just sit back and enjoy what is a uh, once in a lifetime experience. And, uh, yeah, it's, I love that it's lasted this long. And uh, yeah, it's 36 meetings to date. I hope there'll be a 37, just so we can think about this again. Yeah, and as far as, yeah, that question of who's better now, forever, in the past, um, I agree that he, it's uh, silly to try and pick one. Um, and the only thing that I would do is just look at results. And unfortunately... And this has always bothered me. I find myself rooting for the Argentina men's national team simply because of Messi, that Messi has never won a major trophy for Argentina. Um, and not only that, they've lost in finals of Copa America and the World Cup final. But um, And with Messi uh, kind of not having his best day uh, and thinking – the, you know, they might have been outmatched or it might have been a, you know, Germany was Germany and Chile was a phenomenal team when they faced off in finals of the Copa America. But if Messi goes out there and has, you know, his top notch game, does it does it change the result? Uh, meanwhile, Ronaldo gets hurt in the Euro final, yet Portugal still manages to pull out the victory. And, it, you know, um, it's just kind of like it's unfair to compare the personal rivalry to what has happened on the team level. Um, but that's the only thing that I really even think of. Cause I think there's been enough club success on both sides while Ronaldo, I guess in technically has more club success. I think Messi has certainly had far more than enough club success to take care of that. It's just that international success. That's really the only separator as far as um, you know, everything on paper. Um, but that's why I don't like throw out the paper. It doesn't matter. The paper doesn't matter. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but one, if there's one guy in the world that might say they're better 
than Ronaldo or Messi, it's Zlatan Ibrahimovic, which means it's time for the Zlatan quote of the week. And Marcus, I kind of had to really double check myself and make sure that he actually said this. Uh, it appears that he did. I don't know why, but I guess there were some probably completely false and created out of thin air rumors of Chelsea being interested in Zlatan um, or something of that nature. And Zlatan spoke on Chelsea and said, Chelsea can't sign me. I have more trophies than Chelsea. I should be the one to sign them. I, love I should be the one to sign them. That's amazing. Uh, I love it. <laughs> When you uh, so, when you when you brought up the Zlatan quote of the week, I rolled my eyes at the beginning. It's uh, <laughs> boy, that's that's great. I won't do it unless it's good. It's just yeah. every week there's a good one. So. Yeah, yeah. How about <laughs> um, that? Yeah. So, all right, now it's our time for our games of the weekend. I'll start. I'm doing the Manchester Derby, twelve thirty p.m. Eastern on Saturday on Big NBC. Um. Yeah, it's Manchester United versus Manchester City. Obviously, always worth watching, but pretty interesting that United and City are both in sixth and seventh place. United on 19 points, City on 18 points. They've both played 10 matches. Uh, In the Premier League, the first through fifth place teams have all played 11 matches. So uh, both United and City kind of got off to slow starts, City especially, but City has kind of been has kind of turned things around and on the upward trend, you could say maybe the same about United. So now they face off an outright win kind of thrusts you into the top four um, and brings you closer uh, with, uh, you know, being in contention for champions league spots and still the, the league overall. But um, it's just kind of like a a placement climbing the ladder match uh, that, maybe United and City aren't used to kind of being stuck in those matches. Like this seems more of a yeah, Everton versus Tottenham situation, but it's, it's not, <laughs> it, it's United versus City. And, um, you know, it, uh, so let's call it a statement win by either team, uh, you know, could be something that's seen as sort of a turning point uh, when you look months from now back on when City or United, you know, went on their march. So that's what I'll be watching. Yeah, this game, uh, it still matters, uh, regardless of where the teams are in the standings. I mean, the, the Premier League is going to, you know, looking at positions at this point, uh, it's still probably a little too early to read too much into it. But um, I would say Man United needs to win this game a lot more than Man City does. So uh, I might be tuning in, but. The game I will be tuning in for is on uh, Sunday at 3 p.m. Sorry, Saturday, 3 p.m. on BN Sport. That is Real Madrid versus Atletico Madrid. Atletico Madrid, first place in La Liga right now. uh, Visiting crosstown rival Real Madrid. Uh, Atletico Madrid can increase their lead over Real Madrid to nine points with one game in hand. Uh, if they win this game, they currently lead by six. Uh, Real Madrid can close the gap to three. So, uh, you know, Atletico Madrid has serious designs on winning La Liga this season uh, with Barcelona 
seemingly on their knees, Real Madrid. Uh, you never really know which Real Madrid is going to show up on a week to week or, you know, Sunday to Wednesday basis. So uh, the, the door is open for Atletico Madrid to uh, win the big domestic prize this year. So we're going to learn a lot more about that, I think, after this game. Uh, so, yeah, I'll be uh, watching that one after I watch uh, Man United versus Man City. Maybe uh, lunch in between. Uh, I, I would say do brunch beforehand, and then you can just sit on the couch for four straight hours. Mark, uh, I've, been, I've been watching soccer a long, long time. Don't. Yeah, don't tell me how to run my don't don't tell me how to run my weekends. <laughs> you got it. Uh, yeah, no, it's all, definitely an exciting one. Atletico versus Real. Uh, did Real Madrid get right uh, in the Champions League? They beat Munchen Gladbach two nothing to clinch. Uh, first place in their group. They also beat Sevilla last weekend, one to nothing. But I mean, before that, lost to Shakhtar Donetsk, lost to Alves, um, tying Villarreal, lost to Valencia, uh, all in November. Um, so yeah, you don't know what you're going to get week to week. Um, and yeah, I mean, La Liga is wide open for uh, who's going to take a championship this year. Right, which makes it even more worth watch, worthwhile uh, to watch. Absolutely. Well, Marcus, I think we were, this might've been our most efficient show ever. I feel like we hit every topic well and just stream through. Uh, I'm proud of us. Uh, but I think that about does it for our time this week. Um, th- want to thank you for joining me and for all the listeners. Thank you guys for joining us. If you want to continue uh, listening Follow us on Nesson.com slash podcast, where you can see all episodes of the Nesson Soccer Podcast, as well as all Nesson Podcasts. And then also follow us on Spotify and iTunes. Just search Nesson Soccer Podcast. We pop right up. You can follow Marcus on Twitter at MKOMard. You can follow myself on Twitter at Mark D. Benz. Um, Marcus, any final words? No, I've said what I have to say. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. I ring out why I tell you soon.